Welcome to Dragon Talk. I'm Greg Tito. I'm joined by someone who's very cool. And, who? And who just ate a whole bunch of chocolate. Well, you can only see one chocolate wrapper. I'm going to say you had a lot more before that. How do you know? I even <laughs> took the stairs so I could eat it slowly on the way down. <laughs> you guys would think that I only ate the small pack of M&M's. We know the, the truth about I you. I did. I had a little Hershey bar and two Butterfingers. Two? Now small you've got ones. You've, the, the small, the fun size. You've got the Halloween energy that we need for this podcast to, I to had keep to going do through. It. I had to do it. So uh, here on Dragon Talk, we're going to try and ignore... Uh, what's happening in the world, and focus Just mostly on dungeons bubble. and dragons. Because everything in the Forgotten Realms is fine. It's, it's true. There's never <laughs> any giants smashing nope. things. No, no, uh, no storm king thundering. Everything is fine. There's no uh, uh, nationalists trying to bring back an old empire uh, like Astoria, the giants. Uh, I don't know how much is appropriate. To say that this this is game related. Yes. But in um, in Widow's Walk, the expansion for Betrayal at House on the Hill, there is a haunt, and they're written by Zoe Quinn, and it's called "Make America Disintegrate Again." It's pretty good she and turned, apt pun. I know she turned it in, in like February or March, and we were all like, "Oh, it's so funny!" I know. Mm. It's pure comedy. It's and it will super be for funny. four more years. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, you can check out uh, Widow's Walk. Yeah. It is, it is Play through that haunt. In stores. Stop a lich. Now. Um, yeah. And uh, even though it's not quite as appropriate because Halloween has passed, it still will be appropriate it's for years and years to come. appropriate to play horror-themed board games. Now exactly. more than ever. Now more than ever. Uh, escape. Escape into a board game. Volo's Guide to Monsters uh, does mm-hmm. not include uh, anything about current events, but it does is about events uh, in the Forgotten Realms and the monsters that you might infect into your game. It is in uh, hobby stores and widely released right now. Finally. Uh, so go check it out. It's got an awesome uh, cover. Oh, is that cover still... The alt cover still available? Of course. Yeah, it's in game stores. Okay. Alt cover designed by Hydro74, an amazing artist uh, from the sunny state of Florida. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Um, in the Miami area, actually. Oh, cool. But he made this uh, for us, and we love it, and uh, it is uh, it's really beautiful. cool. You can only get that in game stores. Go harass your local game store if they don't have any more in stock. Uh, Tell them to can. hurry and order them. But it was a limited print. We're only printing a certain number of those. Yep. So if, uh, if I think if, it was like seven. If there, yeah. And I think I gave out seven already. So. <laughs> oh, well, There's never one mind. out there, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Along with all the horcruxes I hit everywhere. <laughs> um, so go check that out. And of course, Storm King's Thunder is a great uh, adventure that you can uh, put all of the monsters in Volo's Guide yeah. to Monsters. Uh, so you can... Uh, Check that out in stores as well. I was actually reading, uh, you know, flipping through it again this weekend. Uh, Storm and King? Yeah, Storm King's Thunder. I'm, like, I'm like, oh, maybe I'm going to start a campaign. You get, get it going again. Yeah. I played a bunch of the, the adventures in it, you know, but uh, now I'm like, oh, I think I want to start something up with some people who don't know what's like, happening in the story. You want to DM? Or yeah, okay. I think so. I think I'm going to do it. Live or just? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll be dead when I'm doing it, <laughs> if that's, well, that's what you're asking. That's even cooler. <laughs> Live streamed? Oh, probably not. Okay. Yeah, it'll, it'll most likely just be, uh, you know, offline. Oh. Yeah. Old school. Old school. Yeah. Yeah, with, with, with uh, you know, some like-minded game-playing friends. Like here at work? Maybe in West Seattle. What do you think? I, I like Yeah, West you want to come play? Maybe. Yeah. 
That would be fun. Make Bart play uh, with Quinn, and you can come play some D and D with me. Just tell him I have some. I have to go to work. Yeah, it's work related. It's work related. Yeah, do it. My sorry, sorry. We make it sound like playing with Quinn is like, oh, God. <laughs> you got to lie to to your husband or wife to, you know, yeah, not be the one that gets stuck with the kid. That's awful. Yeah, it, well, yeah, but also true. Okay. I mean, I've been basically I was stuck with two sick kids over the well, whole weekend. Well, they're sick, so that's yeah. awful. So it was like when I found time away from them was was my solace to to, mm. to jump into Storm King's Thunder. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah. When they're coughing a lot, there's not much you can do except be like, hey, what's up, Cover buddy? your mouth. Yeah. Just cover your mouth. Um, we have some amazing guests coming on the show today. Uh, yeah, Satine Phoenix and Ruti Rutenberg, uh, who run some celebrity gaming down in Los Angeles. Uh, we'll be on the horn talking to us. We'll talk about Maze Arcana as well as uh, some other charity stuff that they do. They do a lot of the charity. They do. And the D&D. Do. And they, and yeah, the D&D. they run uh, a lot of the Dungeons and Dragons that happens at Meltdown Comics, yeah. uh, in addition to other places all over the metro area of Los Angeles, so that'll be cool. It'd be great to talk to them. Um, in the meantime, though, we have a new segment that we might want to introduce what? to you guys. Yeah. Um, Jeremy Crawford is going to come by, and we're going to talk sage advice. No way. Delve into some mechanics of Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, for those of you who uh, may not know, Jeremy Crawford is the managing editor, uh, and uh, I think it's primary rules... Me- rules mechanics. Uh, I'm not going to get it all wrong, but basically, he's like in charge. He's he's the the arbiter of whether uh, what the interpretations of the rules are. So yes. he runs it on Twitter. He's at Jeremy E Crawford on Twitter. Uh, and if you have any rules questions, you can ask him there. But then he also compiles that into a column that happens monthly on the D and D website as well as uh, on Dragon Plus. Um, but I thought it might be a great idea to go into some of the. Depths of uh, topics that he's idea. he's gone into before, but then have a, more of a conversation about it because yeah. there's only so much you can uh, glean from the one way communication yeah. uh, uh, from from Jeremy. So it'll be nice to kind of pick his brain cool. on not only the rules and how they're as written, but what they were intended to uh, to be, um, and uh, maybe get some hints on uh, things how they might adapt and change, and oh, how DMs nice. can 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 take those interpretations and roll with them. So we'll be doing that right about now. Enjoy. Welcome to a new segment of Dragon Talk, Sage Advice, where we speak to Jeremy Crawford, managing editor of Dungeons & Dragons and Chief rules lawyer. <laughs> lead, lead rules developer. Lead rule. I, I'm yes. going to go with lawyer. That's much better. No, legislature would be a better uh, yes. uh, uh, analogy since I make make the laws. Uh, I, I don't have to be the one who enforces them except for when I'm the DM. Luckily, you are not a uh, bicameral uh, institution, uh, so that we won't have gridlock anymore in how you speak. About D&D rules. So those of you who uh, uh, follow Jeremy on Twitter or uh, have been reading uh, Sage Advice columns uh, on a monthly basis, he goes into some of the uh, rules of Dungeons & Dragons and clarifies them and or uh, you know, interprets them for, for DMs in specific situations. It's super fascinating for me as a, a big longtime fan of the rules to get some of the insight behind it. And uh, in being in the office here and listening to Jeremy talk about it, I thought it'd make a good segment to get into the conversation about why some of these rules uh, uh, are the way they are and, uh, and and clarify them along the way. 
Uh, so I invite him in here. We'll be doing this alternately with uh, with some lower segments and maybe some other things uh, in, in 2017. But thanks for coming. Yeah, my pleasure. And I think this is also great because for a while, as some of our listeners know, uh, the Sage Advice column will be on hold because Mike Merles and I are focusing on the Unearthed Arcana column. Uh, we're coming out with our weekly installments of that. Mm. Um, I'm continuing to answer rules questions on Twitter, and then here on the podcast, uh, we can talk about rules as well. So cool. Still, people can still get a dose of uh, sage advice. Exactly. Uh, and so, one of the most common uh, things we get questions on, uh, and that you have covered extensively, but you know, it's always good to have a conversation about it, is how you calculate armor class in fifth edition. Uh, there's lots of uh, modifiers and different things, and, and and things that come up. So, Jeremy, what have been some of the the major questions about this that have popped up? Well, one of the things that comes up most often is when people have multiple things in the game telling them different ways they can calculate their armor class. So people usually have no problem with figuring out their armor class when they first make their character. The character creation rules in the player's handbook or in our free basic rules online lay out for you, hey, you know, if you're not wearing armor, your AC is 10 plus your dexterity modifier. Then if you put on a suit of armor in the equipment chapter of the player's handbook, it then each suit of armor tells you how to calculate your armor class. It's usually a number plus your dexterity modifier, or in some cases, it's just a flat number. Mm -hmm. um, it might just say, hey, your, your AC is 17. doesn't matter what your dexterity is. Where people start uh, sometimes getting confused is when, let's say, you're a monk and you have the unarmored defense class feature which gives you a different way to calculate your armor class. Right. It's, it's a number where then you get to add your dexterity modifier and your wisdom modifier. And then let's say the monk's friend wizard walks up and says, hey buddy, here's mage armor. And mage armor gives you yet another way to calculate your armor class. So people will ask me, well, hey, I'm the monk with unarmored defense. Mage armor, the spell says, this doesn't work on you if you're wearing armor. But my monk isn't wearing armor, so does mage armor work on me? And so the answer is no, it doesn't. And the reason why is that there is this rule that is it's a little hidden in the character creation rules mm -hmm. where we tell you uh, different armor class calculations don't stack with each other. Right. So any time in the game where you have two different armor calculations that seem like they should apply you never get to use more than one. Uh, you pick which one to use, and that's that's the rule that's in the character creation rules in the player's handbook, is when you have more than one, pick the one you want to use. This is a question that's uh, come up uh, all over again with the release of Volo's Guide to Monsters because one of the new playable races um, are the lizard folk. Mm -hmm. and the lizard folk have scales, and those scales give them a armor calculation. So again, people are now wondering, well, hey, if I'm a lizard folk uh, and someone casts mage armor on me, or I'm a lizard folk monk, you know, do all these things add together? And they don't. You, if you're playing a lizard folk character, you pick which one of these to use. Now, uh, a listener might be wondering, what do I mean by an armor class calculation? Yeah. Uh, you know you're looking at an armor class calculation when you see the text saying anything along the lines of your armor class equals or is, and then it's usually a number plus 
a modifier, or in the case of, again, of uh, particularly some of the heavy armors in the player's handbook, it just says your armor class is a number. Yeah. This is distinct from a bonus to your armor class. Uh, so another sort of twist in this story of armor class is you might get a magic item like a cloak of protection or a ring of protection, which just says straight up, you have a plus one to your armor class. That is not an armor class calculation. That's a bonus. Uh, this, There the game is just telling you, take this beautiful thing, add it to the armor class you already have, and you're good to go. Right. It's, it's part of an armor class calculation. Exactly. It's a plus one. It's like if you're thinking about it as an equation, it's just, oh, it's just one element of the equation. That's a great way of thinking of it. And, and that's really our intent. Now, a, a question that rolls from that that then I get asked is, well, if I have bonuses from more than one source, hmm. do those add also to my armor class? Let's say I have a cloak of protection on, and I'm also wearing a ring of protection. Ring of protection also gives a plus one to armor class. The answer is yes, those things stack together. In fact, uh, throughout the game, bonuses are meant to stack with each other. Mm -hmm. The big exception is if those bonuses are from a thing in the game that has the same name as something else that's giving you that bonus, they do not stack. So, for instance, you could not wear two cloaks of protection and get the plus one to AC from both of them because both of those cloaks of protection have the same name. Now, you can still wear both of them and look very dapper with, <laughs> you with, could. with, with, with two on. <laughs> right. Although there, there you go down a whole different sort of <laughs> stacking rabbit hole because... Uh, our magic item rules also don't allow you to attune to more than one copy of the same item. Uh, so if any of those items that give you armor class bonuses are the same item and require attunement, well, you couldn't attune to them anyway. Uh, you, you would have to pick only one of them. Right. But, but because a cloak of protection and a ring of protection are two entirely different items, you can benefit from the bonuses from both of them. Good. Um, okay. And and again, those bonuses are not what the system thinks of as an AC calculation. As soon as you're in the realm of an AC calculation, like you see in the armor rules, in the mage armor spell, in lizard folk scales, uh, in unarmored defense, which both the monk and the barbarian have, you only ever get one of those, and you get to pick which one. Now, in almost every single case, you're going to pick the one that gives you the highest armor class. Right. So that's why it's 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 said that you get to choose is because there may be a character reason or a, a thing why you would want to have a lower AC, but it's very right. rare that it would ever yeah. happen like that. Yeah. Uh, so w can you talk a little bit about why, I mean, because I think armor class has always been like this storied uh, problem area of D&D's design, you know, back to the descending armor class and things like that. What was your thinking when you and Mike uh, and the rest of the team were kind of designing 5th edition uh, uh, to codify it this way? So first off, we wanted to make sure armor classes didn't get out of control and didn't get too high. 5th uh, edition, uh, really, if you dig deep into the guts of its system, has a fairly constrained uh, range of numbers that the system expects to be in play. So armor classes and many of the other numbers in the game simply don't go as high as they have in some of the other recent editions of the game. Mm -hmm. 
So we needed some kind of stacking control mechanism in place because we, again, didn't want you to, you know, just walk in and suddenly, I have my armor class of 50, which, you know, just, okay, nothing in the world can even hit you. Yeah. Um, now, coupled with that, we had an edition that doesn't have bonus types. How... How 3rd and 4th edition controlled this kind of stacking was through bonus types. Every bonus in the game had a name, you know, whether it was like an armor bonus or a circumstance bonus. And you knew in those editions that if two things were giving you bonuses with the same type, those bonus types didn't stack. Now, we found working, uh, uh, Mike and I, on both uh, late 3rd edition and all of 4th edition and then designing 5th, is that bonus types were often uh, ignored by many players. Uh, not because they were making a conscious decision to ignore them, but they often just didn't see them. Uh, it was sort of like a noise on the page. Mm. And they weren't tracking uh, mentally that, okay, this thing was giving me an armor bonus, this other thing, oh wait, this was also an armor bonus, but this was over here was a shield bonus, and this was over here a circumstance bonus. And then people would start wondering, well, does this bonus word actually have meaning? Are there like sort of phantom rules I'm forgetting that that I need to remember anytime I'm using these bonuses? Right. And then also made things that were rarer bonus types that much more valuable. Right. So when you found like, mm -hmm. a circumstance bonus was one that didn't come up very often, if I remember correctly, from from those editions. So it was like when you found that, you're like, oh, that's way more, you know, uh, powerful because nobody has any of the that type yet. Yeah. You were often chasing you were kind of it was like you were filling out your bonus type scorecard if you were if you were a player who paid attention to bonus types yeah. it's like all right i got to catch them all yeah um, and really what we wanted was and this was a philosophy of ours for the entire edition when designing it is we wanted the game to be as straightforward as possible and for us to remove as much rules static as possible and we wanted people to be able to just engage with things in as immediate a way as possible and just enjoy it mm -hmm. And so we decided with bonuses because we already knew that people were often stacking bonuses of the same type anyway in third and fourth edition. We observed this a lot in play. Uh, we, we decided we wanted to get rid of that static. And we also wanted a bonus to actually feel like a bonus. Mm. Uh, we, we wanted when you got it, you wanted you just felt good about it. And that's why our philosophy with fifth is that, again, other than that exception of if if two things with the same name are giving you the same bonus, you only get you know one of one of the bonuses. Other than that, if you get a bonus, you get to use it, uh, and you get to feel good about it. Now that all said, we still needed some way to control armor class in a system that did not have bonus types, and so where we settled was this idea of different things in the game would tell you ways in which you could calculate your armor class, and mm -hmm. you would use only one of them. Uh, it is kind of the the closest fifth gets to having something like the bonus stacking mechanism of the previous two editions. Right. Um, attunement did that to a certain extent as well, where you couldn't yeah, you could we, only attune to a certain number of items. And yeah. that was a way to control. So it didn't feel like everybody was a, a Christmas tree walking around with thousands of magic items on them. Exactly. And yeah, attunement, attunement is one of the other ways in which we we worked some stacking control into the game without mm -hmm. relying on an abstraction like bonus types. Uh, we also control stacking through the concentration mechanic in spells. Uh, we also control the stacking of various effects uh, through a pretty constrained action economy. I mean, really, unless you know you have something that's giving you a bonus action, you've got your one action. 
each round and you've got your one reaction. And again, aside from the characters who have bonus actions, that's it. Right. Uh, so we we tried to keep things, as I said, in a straight as straightforward as possible. Yeah. Uh, and and not really we we want we didn't want you having to essentially be tracking game mechanical abstractions. You know, thing, things like bonus types, which really don't manifest in the storytelling itself. Right. That's like purely a kind of like metagame thing. And that was something else we wanted to get out of the game as much as possible so that you're really engaging with the storytelling, with the action, uh, and able to understand what's going on as easily as possible. Now, that all said, the critique I will give to what we did is this calculation rule, we didn't present it as prominently as I think mm. we should have. Uh, and I think that's why the question qu- comes up. Exactly. And it's also, it also has uh, the, the reality of being new for the game. Uh, this, this isn't how AC stacking has been controlled in the past. And anytime there's a shift uh, in the game from one edition to another, right. there can be some growing pains as the community adjusts to, okay, now this is how we're doing it in the current generation of the game. So one final kind of wrinkle that I want to make sure we cover before uh, we, we, we close the book on this segment <laughs> is uh, uh, how cover uh, obscuring and things like bark skin uh, uh, play into all that. Uh, so I guess, yeah, so does cover, is it a bonus in this thing or is it a, a does it make it a new AC calculation? So uh, cover uh, is like a cloak of protection, something that gives you a bonus to your armor okay. class. Uh, and, and again, we did that because we wanted cover to help you uh, no matter whatever, wh- whatever other things were contributing to your armor class. Um, and cover also gives you a bonus to your dexterity saving throw if something forces you to make a dex save and it's an effect coming at you from the other side of the cover. So, you know, if it's a big, big explosion of fire and you're behind cover, that cover is going to give you a bonus uh, to your saving throw as well as to your armor class. Uh, now, in contrast, when uh, you're in an area of uh, really low light um, uh, or in, in, in more, pre- more specifically, if you're in an area of total darkness where you just simply can't see, yeah. uh, that's neither a penalty to uh, your attack roll, uh, nor is it um, a bonus to your target's armor class. Instead, uh, if you can't see, you have disadvantage on your attack roll. Um, and that's actually one of the reasons why uh, to kind of get into the weeds of the of the design, because I sometimes get asked, well, why is cover a modification to your armor class and not just disadvantage? Yeah. Uh, the reason for that is I wanted uh, both visibility and physical cover to be factors in the same fight. Uh, if they were both disadvantage, uh, then there would be no way for you to benefit from both. And so the way it the way it is constructed is. One of them is messing with the uh, attacker's ability to be accurate. That is, the ability to see affects, you know, if I'm the attacker, my ability to, to find my target and, and hit it precisely. Uh, whereas physical cover is really just increasing the defense of your target. Right, right. And that allows, you know, spells that uh, uh, restrict visibility to have that much more 
uh, chance to be used uh, effectively. Exactly. Right? Yeah, because you can do both, get both of those things happening at the same time. And, right. And you know, I feel like that gives more stuff to the DM, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But uh, all players can also start to use those. Uh, against monsters as well. Uh, so yeah, I guess the final thing is bark skin. So does, is that is that a new armor class calculation when you cast bark skin on yourself? No, bark bark skin is an unusual spell because what it does is it actually sets a floor for your armor class. The spell says basically your armor class is never going to be below this amount. Uh, so no matter no matter what messes around with your AC calculation, this is its minimum number. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So in some cases, Barkskin's not going to do anything for a person. If their AC is already well above that, uh, the spell really should have been cast on somebody else. Right. Uh, but it is the perfect spell for somebody who either you know has a low AC to begin with or you expect their AC is going to get lowered. Uh, you cast the spell on them, and it basically says, uh, your AC, while this spell on you is on you, uh, simply can't be less than 16. And I just had to look it up. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, yeah. Those of you can hear the, 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 the uh, turning of the pages in the microphone there. Yeah. yeah uh, and, and, and actually, it's, it, I should point out, uh, if anyone's curious, uh, and, and I know people are because I get asked this sometimes at conventions. They ask me, oh, do I have all the, the rules memorized? And what I have to tell people is absolutely not because I've worked on so many different versions of the rules, not only the different playtest versions for 5th edition that we publicized, but I've also worked on versions that we never publicized. And so I always look up the text just to make sure. Whatever the, the version that got yes, solidified in the page is it, the one that you're remembering? Yeah. No, oh my God. There have been a couple of times where I have answered rules questions on Twitter. And thankfully, within like 30 to 60 seconds after I posted the tweet, realized I just gave an answer based on a rule we never published. So, And then I quickly go in and yeah, delete right. it. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, uh, for for trying to demystify uh, uh, AC for anyone out there. Um, I, I haven't had any of these problems myself calculating it, but I know people have. So it's yeah. good to always clear yeah. it up and, and make it all uh, uh, as clear as possible. So thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, my pleasure. And hopefully we'll have you back again to do uh, to do an, delve into some more rules thing. Uh, if they have any questions, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, the best way to reach me is on Twitter. I'm at uh, Jeremy E. Crawford. Uh, and then I can also be reached by email if the question is very complex. And the email address to use is sageadvice at wizards.com. Awesome. And uh, feel free to reach out to him uh, for any things you want to do more uh, in-depth conversations uh, for one of these segments. Um, but, of course, if it's easy enough, I'm sure you'll just answer it in a tweet anyway. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah. Sure thing. Okay. fun new segment that was a good segment yeah i like jeremy it's always fun to talk to him he's very good and it's uh, great that we have uh these microphones to be able to pick up those conversations <laughs> like it just happened like and randomly. Uh, so great that we have ryan who can record them exactly yay ryan beep, boop, beep, boop. um so let's go talk to our guests yeah? Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah? You yeah. down? Yeah. Is the coffee and the, the cigarettes and the, and the chocolate wearing off? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's re-up. Uh, let's re-up and we'll, we'll get ourselves jazzed for the D&D and Satine Phoenix. They're uh, always very cheery people. Uh, we don't even have to be. Rudy. They're just going to take over. Yeah, they will. The, we know the it. Cheer. We know it.
Yeah. Unless we call them and they're depressed. We'll see. <laughs> Never know what you're going to get. <laughs> Life is like a box of Butterfingers. Hello. Hello. Hi, guys. Well, thank you guys uh, for joining us. Uh, we are here to not talk about the impending apocalypse that's going Aww. to be coming. Uh, I, but instead... Tweedo can't keep it in. For, I can't keep He's it in. He's just like... <laughs> Tears are slowly streaming down his face yeah, right now. <laughs> I, there's garbage being thrown at me, and I'm walking along the street uh, with tears streaming down. Uh, and uh, So, yeah, well, let's talk about some fun Dungeons and Dragons let's things that are happening. Let's talk about the great things that are happening in Eberron. <laughs> well, yes, it's, I, apparently Tito's not there because it's not raining in Eberron right now. It's, it never rains it never in Eberron. Rains in That's in what Eberron. Keith Baker told me. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have that conversation. Don't be putting that into your campaigns. <laughs> There's no, no rain. <laughs> you will get called I, out on that. That's a lot that I've already used some sound effects that have rain in it. Like that's something I feel like should have that that should have been brought up in advance, I believe. Yeah, it should be in a source book or at least something yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll get we'll get on the on the the editing for that to make sure it shows up. So, yeah, we really want to talk about uh, uh, what you guys have been doing. Uh, down in sunny Los Angeles. But before we get to all that, we want to like get your personal history of uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons. When did when did you start? When did you get the the bug uh, uh, to roll dice? To Who did this to you? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Satine, what, when when did you start playing? I've been playing for twenty one years. Wow. Um, yeah, since I was fifteen. But I found uh, a red box in our basement. When I was like eight or ten or something, mm. so I'd make characters and try to play them with myself. I didn't know what I was doing, but essentially, it was what I'd always been doing, which is playing and making stories. So, yeah, I'm old school. That is. And old it's very school. confusing when you um, keep switching editions, but I think <laughs> I've stabilized. <laughs> I think fifth edition fits. Nice. Yeah. So did yeah. you do the the choose your own adventure part of the the red box a couple times, and that's those are the characters you used. Yeah, well, I, I'm a modifier, so I anytime I see something, I have to make it better. Mm. So I did that. So little ten year old Satine was like, "That's cool." However, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> what did you change? What were some of the things that popped out of you? I honestly don't remember. They because I've been playing so long. <laughs> There's right. so many stories in my head. You're like, you know, this Thacko is silly. I'm gonna make it be ascending armor class. <laughs> Should have listened. That's awesome. So who introduced you to D&D when you were 15? How did you find your first group? Well, I was in uh, drama club. And nice. in between school and drama club, we would all hang out. And one of my best friends and a couple other people were playing. And I was like, oh, my God, this is what I've been wanting to do. How have you been holding out on me? You're letting me play. I'm playing. We're playing. <laughs> <laughs> and so we would play. There'd be like four people playing and then it got whittled down to three and essentially it was our little triad and it was a dungeon master and my best friend who'd play a minotaur and myself and I played mostly uh, an elf, rogue, magic user, multi-class but um, I did get, I did play a tiger lycanthrop, a were tiger Ooh. so that was pretty fun yeah. and um, they don't get along with minotaurs I found out. But yeah, so the three of us would just wander around during school, after school, on the weekends, and just kind of play the three of us for many years, actually. That's really cool. You're still, are you still friends with the, some people in that group? I, I, we're friends on Facebook, as far as that, is, mm. that goes. But 
you know, when the whole Maze Arcana thing happened, I messaged him and I was like, you would not believe when we were 15, you could never guess we'd be playing this thing and <laughs> live stream and this is the coolest thing. And I went to the Wizards of the Coast and it was awesome and everyone was super cool. And I haven't actually heard from him back, <gasps> but, <laughs> um, but maybe, maybe he, I, I did he's, reach out to him. He's, he's just so it, blown away. Right. Yeah. He's holding that yeah, in. He's like, he's oh, so man, blown. how do I respond to this? I don't know. Yeah, he's probably like, she's living he'll, my he'll dream. write in like a month. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> you still do that? Right. Jealous. No, Just we're jealous. lifers. Yeah. For sure. That is cool. What about uh, what about you, Rudy? How did you get started? Well, I still talk to all of my uh, D&D friends from when I got started because that was, uh, I am a fifth edition-er. Ooh. Yeah. A newer, my, a newcomer. Yeah, more or less. I had a lot of experience playing a lot of Blizzard games growing up, playing a lot of other... I mean, I've always been a fantasy nerd. Uh, I've always driven, uh, drawn them. I've gone into... I started writing stories about them that uh, my teachers in my little private school... Uh, and this is not like a fancy private school. We're just talking like one of those strict Christian schools where they beat you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, th- I got... I it got made a, you better, like, though, right? Absolutely. It it made the army nothing. (laughs) So I grew up uh, being called some sort of demon child or whatnot for writing stories that I then watched, right, about D&D, Lord of the Rings, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But my first experience with D&D, I just, I'd had enough of people thinking that, of of the, the holes that we try and put each other in or that we allow other people to put us in and saying like, oh, if you're going to be a macho actor, which is, you know, not trying to be macho per se, but acting is what I do. So if you're going to do that, there's not really a whole lot of room for you to go and do these other things. And, you know, you're not Vin Diesel. You can't, you're, you're not hyper masculine to begin with. So, you know, you can't get away with doing that and still have a career. He's already established whatever those things are. Finally got fed up with that. And I went on meetup.com and I started searching for games, and it was just about this time that the transition, it was actually, oh, oh my God, <laughs> I'm, I'm so bad. I have to regress. I was introduced to 5th edition D&D during the next playtest by my friend Tom DeSanto and uh, my friend Andrew and Sean, who actually helps us edit the show from time to time. Mm. I forgot about that. That was my first taste, and that led me to meetup.com okay oh, okay because so they were like they, they, they you played with them and then you're like oh i gotta start this and, and do it more on the reg that's yeah the, i got into that whole the theory crap thing. <laughs> yeah there's yeah. a lot of that there's a lot of that people trying to to, to to get the most efficiently done character out there uh but less so with with, uh, and, and with fifth well yeah and fifth when i got up into that i started figuring out that Fifth is actually optimized to make it to where your character is more about the choices that they make and about mm-hmm. who they are as a person. And it's less about, it's more forgiving to non-Munchkin type builds. So that opened up the world to me entirely. And thus, like N.T. Fifi, who I created with Shelly there, uh, is one of my favorite characters. Yes. And he's this completely... Demise Barbarian. You really fleshed him out and made him? That was like... Oh, yeah. He's part <laughs> He's of the, the real deal? gallery that I play with. Satine, 
He's real. Oh my god. Satine, Chris Lindsay, uh, Bill, and Travis are. That's the peanut gallery. We're gonna have a a Maze Arcana game set up for that later during this this holiday break here. But he is uh, the barbarian for that group. <gasps> oh my god, I love that. And he will make so cool. He will make an Eberron appearance. He was just I like. I can guarantee that he will be ridiculous, hilarious, that's amazing. and ridiculous. I love that. Yes, I, I, I know. Please don't uh, don't touch any of these any of these things. My OCD will kick in and I will rage. Oh. <laughs> he's an OCD barbarian. Oh, that's awesome. He's an he's an OCD old man who has the healer feet, believes himself to be a physician, but oh. if you knock any of his little tinctures out of the way, or if you hit a woman, he will fly off the handle. Nice, we like him. <laughs> That's awesome. Very so yeah, cool. you guys have hinted a little bit about uh, uh, Mesa Arcana. What can you what can you tell us about about everything that that, that is? Satine, go for it. I'll, I'll let you go for it because uh, <laughs> you're the man in charge of the stories. That's fair. <laughs> so I am the dungeon master for a little show we call Maze Arcana. It takes place currently in the land of Eberron. There are plans by pretty much just me, because I'm the one who does the planning. (laughs) I'm not allowed to know. (laughs) She's actually not. Uh, So I have plans to do some Ravenloft stuff at some point, to go back and forth, but I believe our home will pretty much always be so long as Wizards allows it to be in Eberron. Spoilers, dude. Come on. (laughs) They all die. You should have been putting your fingers in your ear and be like, la, la, la. la, la." (laughs) I thought that told me that's what you were going to do when I was talking. (laughs) (laughs) That's what everyone always does when someone else is talking, That's what I do when Greg's talking. (laughs) (laughs) So Maze Arcana basically has our main core cast, which are comprised of Zach Smith, we can go over his credentials after I'm done listing the people. <laughs> Mylon Sarley, Kyle Vogt, and the lovely and talented Satine Phoenix on the other end of the line there. Heard of her, yeah. And then we She's have cool. also <laughs> done this thing during our first season where we're bringing on friends of ours from the nerd community, if you will. But beyond that, also some celebrities of TV shows, whether that's on the writing end or the acting end or voiceover. And just for instance, this week that we recorded yesterday was Denora Walcott, who is a Harvard grad and was on Two Broke Girls, The Mentalist, Mike and Molly. She currently been on Scandal for, I think, the last six years. I I just read about I'm a huge also- fan of Scandal, so I kind of geeked out a little. <laughs> yeah, so we've like been friends Grimm? for a long time, and I had no idea that she just got a part on Grimm, which I love. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, so don't kill her, her off, because, you know. Her on Grimm. I feel like I'm now, like, well, she's not three like- degrees from Kerry Washington. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't happen to die. I wanted to leave her with a little bit more of a question mark, but our uh, Satine doesn't like to leave anybody behind. Aww. So, we uh, she's alive. We have to figure out what happens to her husband. But the idea is that we've written, or that I've written all of these episodes to work function, function actually more like TV shows. So there are moments in them that I know are coming that we can take little breaks on, but that also 
kind of accentuate or highlight or have callbacks to the people that we have on at that given moment. Um, and we're really excited. I mean, this season goes through eight episodes. Our next episode next week is going to have Talis and Joff on it. Oh, great. And, and, that, and he actually started our season two, so it'll be a nice capstone all the way to level 20 there. Well, how many episodes have you guys done? This one will be number eight coming up this week. Okay. And we will pick it back up after Thanksgiving because Sundays fall. We have Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's this year. We'll all be on Sunday. So we'll hit, we'll, we'll keep going, but our first kind of proof of concept season was this first season. Uh, and it's eight episodes. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And you guys- I, I'm the tech support, and we're learning a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to say, you guys do it on Sundays, uh, uh, so or you know, if, if everything goes well, at 12, right? At East Pacific time? Noonish. Right. Noonish. Yeah, we're consistently noonish. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and noon it's getting more consistently. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, maybe, maybe Satine, you can talk a little bit about the technical stuff, because that's always, I mean, when people want to start doing uh, uh, their own streams like that, it seems, you know, Simple. You turn on a camera and make it happen, but then there's so much more that can go wrong slash right about it. So yeah, what, what's 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 been some of the fun challenges you guys have overcome? Well, you know, right now I'm sitting at my desk in my office, and I've got my two my computer, my monitor, and my Yeti, and I usually record off of a Logitech, and everything's pretty contained, and it's one person, and it's super easy, and I have really fast internet. However, when you have five players and they're sitting at one table and you have a game master sitting at another table and you want to mic all of them with different mics and try to get those into mixers and then also you have to light everybody and that's a, that's a lot of work. Um, let's see. The first episode, that was hmm. fun. We <laughs> did a lot of troubleshooting. We thought we had it going and then the morning of the show, I... I must have fallen asleep at 5 a.m., got up at 6 a.m., turned my computer on, and then pop, fizz, smoke. <gasps> what? Yeah. yeah. And I just started panicking because it was my iMac. I'm like, okay. And everyone's telling me, oh, you shouldn't do it on an iMac. It can't handle it. I was like, oh, she can't. And then, <laughs> she's fine. And all she's the overlays fine. were on it. Oh, yeah, no. everything was on it. Like, this is the computer. It's like a beautiful 27-inch. And so there I was. Smoking computer, plugging, unplugging things, and 15 minutes go by, and I just switch plugs, and I plug it in, and it does this pop, and it totally worked fine. It's working fine. Maybe if I don't bring it up to her again, she won't do it again. Oh, my gosh. So there was <laughs> there was smoke, but it still is <laughs> yeah, working? Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, it was really weird. And then we go through what, a five-hour day, and maybe three-quarters of the way through she starts heating up a lot, and we end up bringing out ice packs. We had paper towels and stuff underneath. Aww. We had like and a, a new hashtag can. for ice hack. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. I think there's a photo on on Twitter where there's just all these ice packs taped to the back of her, and she was chugging along. Aww. But um, I think the biggest issue is probably miking everybody and getting so many people leveled mm. that. For me, anyway, that's the biggest issue. The cameras—that's that, okay. You can have a few. Um, you can have a few cameras going, and the lighting's a little complex if you want it as moody as I like it. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, the uh, the sound is 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 key. I think if you don't have good sound for any kind of podcast or streaming, uh, people will 
not forgive you for that. I learned that when I did when we did some streaming from here. But uh, when we did the Out of the Abyss campaign, it was very much like fix the sound. The sound is <laughs> yeah. bad. But you know, they we could have you know almost no visuals whatsoever. But they're like that sound. We need it. So, <laughs> it makes a big we've difference. We've learned that it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, I've been podcasting for a long time, and I love my Yeti. But when you're trying to do a show where you don't. I mean, I'm my, I've got a vision. I'm an artist, and I don't <laughs> want to see the mics, honestly. And we, we're, you know, we're new. We can't afford lav mics. Yeah. Um, it's on our Christmas wish list, Aww. but um, yeah. So we're we're trying to figure out how to get all the things, and and I I've always thought that it takes about eight episodes to figure things out. So luckily, I think. Well, you're about to figure it all out. Though. Yeah. 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 Things are going really pretty, well now. Yeah, that's a pretty on point assessment. It seems that each episode gets a little bit smoother, a little bit better. Our sound guy figures things out a little bit more. Uh, we get the camera things. To me, I totally agree with Greg in that sense that people can suffer through sound or people can suffer through the video issues, but it's the sound stuff that they can't handle. If there's if they can't close their eyes and just be there and be immersed in it, then that's a total other thing. So we initially, as part of our vision, because again, we're artists, we had this huge grand vision. I think we had something like five or six cameras that we wanted to have, like different angles and like individual singles on people. And that's one of the things I think that made the computers reject us. Yeah. And be like, no, we, <laughs> we refuse to work under these conditions. This is not union code. <laughs> so, my baboon are you, are heart. Are you allowed to see that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> Depends. Does the computer still hate you? Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, too, is live streaming is totally different than recording something and editing it later. And because, I mean, I can clean up the audio. It's a hobby of mine that I enjoy doing. Um, Love editing. That's super fun. But Mm -hmm. the live streaming and getting all the pieces in the right place, it's like a stage play, really. Everyone memorizing their Mm. lines and whatnot. So... Just That's a little cool. more technically interesting. <laughs> I like, uh, and I like that you, uh, we all of us, I think, on mic right now have some theater background. True. From the drama club yes. on, yeah. yeah. I was in the drama theater, club. Theater majors unite. Woo! I was <laughs> drama club president. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. It's true. You broke I, that glass ceiling. <laughs> oh, you brought <laughs> it up. <laughs> Damn it, Tweedo. <laughs> It was really cute, though, because, like, I adapted a Neil Gaiman book into a play, and then I had my best girlfriend play my favorite character and my boyfriend at the time play the the main male character. That's good. And I asked Neil Gaiman permission over, like, BBS or something from, like, the 90s. Did you get permission? Yes, I did. That's so sweet. That's cute. It's a lot easier to do that now, I guess, with Twitter. You can just be like, hey, at real Neil. I'm doing it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, basically. I adapted... um, Mommy Dearest into a one-woman show, <laughs> <laughs> and, and somehow I you're still talking. You're still talking to your mom somehow. They loved it. Uh-huh. They came to my show like every night. I was like, "I'm doing it the show again. Come downstairs." No wire hangers. I like it was like a monologue. <laughs> Occasionally, my brother would join me and be the the, the, the daughter boy? that I beat. The, no, he, oh. I made him be Christina. <laughs> you were a person. Yeah, I had my mom like she fed into it. Told, she bought me bathrobes with like huge shoulder pads in them for like my costumes oh my god <laughs> i still know all the words that is so disturbing wow. I know, how old it were is. you i was like 10 what i was oh, too I like old to... so much more thank right you because greg is about to leave the room <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I, that's, it's a little disturbing. I mean, I guess. I feel like but... that that would be in a uh, a Rushmore like movie about you know like yeah. a, a little I, kid adapting. I gotta Mommy be Dearest. honest. I think it's oh, maybe no. one of the coolest things about me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> I'll give you that. Yeah, since there's so few. So right, I mean, this is it. <laughs> I'm, I'm laying it all out on the table for you right now. Yeah. Oh, my God. Everything... To be fair, I've turned uh, Hamilton into a one-man show as well. I only perform in my shower, but it's, but you know, still. I sing the whole thing in every part. Or so. on car rides. Yeah. Oh, yes. It. Oh, my God. Keith Baker and I went back and forth, literally, in that first, in that tandem back and forth with Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton on the way to get pizza. It was incredible. That's like, talking you about two nerds recording that? out, not, not a nerd thing. That I was busy cool. driving. Oh. Impromptu. Ha! <laughs> Smile more. Oh, talk less. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, I know we could do it all right here. Uh, but um, so yeah, talk a little bit more about the creative stuff of uh, what's going on in Maze Arcana. I think we've talked about the technicals, but what's what's what's, what's the, the story? What's the characters? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think to begin with, it's important to broach how. Eberron hasn't had any uh, official support mm-hmm. since uh, fourth edition. So any other support, I think, has been on that other game that shall not be mentioned. But <laughs> Voldemort? We, yes, the Voldemort <laughs> game. But we were very specific in wanting this to be 5e content. So I spent, I want to say, like two or three months in advance with Keith actually helping uh, bringing some of the stuff up to where it made sense with current 5e. Mm-hmm. As I had been informed, the Unearthed Arcana that was put out was more along the lines of the alpha stuff for D&D Next prior to things being finalized. Right. So we went back in and fine-tuned them a little bit more to bring them in line with what 5e represents for the other races. And then started to work on creating classes that felt unique to Eberron, like the Arcaneer, which is a mainstay similar to the um, Artificer. I don't know why I blanked on that. <laughs> you're still Sion. dancing. What, what, what's the, what's this, what's, uh, I mean, I know that you guys were doing it in Eberron and you've done your best to, to you know, adapt it to 5e. I think that's awesome. I think a lot of other folks uh, out in the in the the sphere will be doing similar stuff with their favorite D and D settings. You know, I th- I think that's kind of what makes Fifth cool is that like it's not that it's easy to adapt for, but you know, you, as as long as you're using the the stories and the and the hooks of that particular setting, you know, there's a lot in Fifth Edition that you can use uh, uh, to to make it feel like you're you know you're you're playing the most current up to date rules, no matter what the setting. But it was awesome that you were able to to work with Keith. To make that specifically even 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 more so happen, um, but what it, what's what's happening in this specific uh, adventure uh, that would get people excited to, to tune in uh, on Sundays? Roger. So, I'm trying to think about how to do this without giving away any spoilers for Satine. <laughs> they all die at the end. They all die <laughs> in episode eight. We're going to create a new character. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, uh, <laughs> she's she's like, I just figured out how to use this one. So when we meet our heroes, it's about two years past the 4E content in the, well, yeah, in the year 1002 YK. 
The right <laughs> super nerd. So we get in there and we meet our characters as Azure is fleeing from a an accidental knife fight with a cardinal of the silver flame. Mm. It was one of those kind of X-Men moments where she didn't realize she was a scion until the powers manifested under incredible duress when she was being attacked by some thugs. She deflected a dagger. It flew at the cardinal. There had been a whole lot of assassinations to make up for the lycanthropic purge that had happened just prior to the last setting in 99.8 YK. Mm-hmm. So she's on the run from that. She meets the Warforged Lucky, played by Kyle Voigt, Vogt, who is on a hunt for Baron Neri Waltrup, who was a Karnath fighter pilot of which Lucky was as well, but he was responsible for taking out the majority of his squadron on the day of mourning. So Kyrie had the explosion called the mourning that basically nuked the entire country. They were on the edge of it. They got hit with part of the pulse. They started to go down. Baron Neary's squadron did not get hit by the pulse and proceeded to clean them up on their way down in a very ungentlemanly fashion. And <laughs> Lucky was very upset, being the only person, or I guess sentient being, that survived and is on a mission to hunt him down. Mm. On the road up, they meet Rav, who is a changeling fighter, and save him from being scalped, partially. They end up being... Uh, a group together in uh, Chavalant for a small amount of time. Chavalant is a small northern uh, throp that has that is known for the horse economy. And the Silver Flame sends, <laughs> right? I know. I don't know how else. The, Boy, this, this is the best elevator pitch for this story mm-hmm. ever. Oh, you just, oh, God, I'm sorry. You just want the elevator pitch. Oh, no, I no, wanted some background. No, I, I, I feel like I was all of a sudden back into, uh, uh, you know, you were dungeon mastering us, which is good. That's why, you right. know, yeah, that's you give a me, sign of a good dungeon master. Exactly. Oh, okay. You can just recite out all the details of the story right away. Well, technically, this hell happened before we started recording. Mm. So I don't, I don't think actually. We have recordings of this these parts. No, because this was some. We started playing the campaign before we were given the green light. So the last little portion of this is the Silver Flame came to bring it around full circle. Sent an assassin after Azure to mm-hmm. at least bring her back, and and that's played by Tabris, or that is Tabris played by Mylan Sarley, who is a divine herald, a rogue version of I guess the Church's assassin. And so the four of them were Azure, or sorry, Tabris had lured them into a forest and tried to apprehend her. They were attacked by some lichens. She was turned, Tabris was turned, which the Silver Flame cannot abide, and thus sets all four characters on the run, and that's where the story picks up. So that's the interesting stuff that people should get excited about prior to watching our first episode, I suppose. Yeah. That's cool. It feels like re- it's 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 deep. You've got all these these these. I don't know. I I felt like four or five different hooks that were mm-hmm. just in there uh, that I want to jump into. <laughs> so that's cool. 
Um, so yeah, the incre- go ahead. I would just say real fast, the incredible thing about Eberron is how much source material is out there. Yeah. Even though it was only supported from three to four. So you have three, 3.5 and four. And the majority of that is there's so much lore that, that when I'm doing my, my checks, because I don't want to say the wrong thing and, and nerd rage on myself after I figure out the truth. <laughs> there is hours and hours of fact checking and going back through the other books to make sure that I'm not misrepresenting a character a certain way or that there's not a relationship that I'm going to miss and upset the balance of Eberron on its oh own. Oh my god. Wow. Yeah, I'll, it's really funny it's because dedicated. a lot of the games that I've been playing are very casual and it's been a long time since I've played a really solid long campaign and I forget that your decisions have consequences and in this world they definitely have consequences that's cool so yeah what about what can you tell us about uh, how you're approaching Azure and uh, what where can you get those awesome uh, ears (laughs) (laughs) I think there's one website online if you just google elf ears it starts with an a I can't tell you what it's called I don't remember but um, yeah they have a a whole lot of elf ears, and I like the big ones because they look natural on me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, it but, reads um, really well, especially with the low thanks. lighting that you were talking about. I was like, oh, yeah. I, yeah. Totally, I totally believe <laughs> yeah. her having those. Did she have those? I, <laughs> I didn't notice. When, when I met, met her, her yeah. maybe she had her hair down. <laughs> I get that in real life. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm playing Azure, the Kalishtar Scion, and I've never played a Scion before and actually made this before I saw Stranger Things. <laughs> so oh, cool. uh, I thought it was kind of interesting. I mean, I was like, I want to, I want to have the force. Really, is what I wanted. But I also wanted to play in D and D, so I made her. And it's really interesting with the side points and keeping track of all the little pieces that go into uh, playing a scion. And I'm not really good at it, and I'm okay with that. I'm learning, and that's kind of funny to be that vulnerable while playing with a bunch of other people and also kind of teaching other people and with people watching. it's It's been very uh, slightly challenging, but more interesting in keeping balance with my character's needs. Mm. Because when I play, I play, um, I kind of ignore, I, I don't ignore the rules, but I play to what my character would do and then ask the game master, can I do this? Does this make sense? So she's a very interesting character. <laughs> yeah. And that's the, I think that's a good way to play. And I, I noticed that when you were playing, you know, uh, um, I hit it my, with my axe was the first version I, I watched you playing. And now yeah. watching you do this here, it's, it's very similar. I get very passionate. Yeah. I become the character. I know. And I feel and it's like... it's funny. It's that theater background. <laughs> it's a theater <Yeah>. background. <laughs> well, it's funny because I've got... I mean, I've got these stats and I could do all these things that make sense number wise, right? Like, oh, that person's the tank. They could do this. That person is the ranged you know, person and they can do that. But really, it's would she be thinking about that in a high stress situation? Mm. No, she would probably drop to the like, for instance, there was an episode where the ground was moving a bit. I'm not going to I don't want to spoil anything. And so she she didn't go prone but she wanted to like shimmy across the ground and everybody's like but that means you're prone i'm like well i mean she's not prone though because she's in a defensive mode so then the game and then rudy had to figure out how that would work um you know while i 
the characters in action, yeah. which is really interesting. To I had her take an E. <laughs> <laughs> she she just pulled a Kaepernick, which means she was half committed to the situation, and she didn't vote. <laughs> right? No, Kyle. But vote. she. But it did help her. Oh, look at that! Kyle would be proud of you. He's our our resident uh, punter. Nice. So, but then her roles like started to make up for it, and ever she was. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump in. Go. No, no, go for it. I, what would it be? Okay. <laughs> so she kneeled down. She kneeled down to do that, and then all of a sudden, her dice started to like her again. It was a mixture of that, and then starting to actually use the wizard's dice that you guys sent us. Those are when she gets her best rolls. Oh, well, good. yeah, yeah. Thank you. We had them blessed here for <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Chris Lindsay blessed him. Yeah. I won't Calibrated. tell you how he blessed them, but he did. Yeah, sunshine. Sunshine on his head. Yeah, <laughs> I, I roll terribly all the time. I could have the best stats in the world, and and I'll probably get a nineteen or twenty, and then pretty much roll under twelve the entire time. It happens. It happens. But some, that, that's the best role playing, you know, as to how you how you bounce back from from bad things happening. Just like life. Greg. Just like life, Just and or right. from bad results <laughs> happening. <laughs> it makes the balancing for for the dungeon master and for each encounter is an interesting thing because the way that Satine's mind works, and actually I'm kind of both blessed and cursed with this with all of my players, mm. is that they're all so imaginative in the ways that they approach it. It's We almost have to make up a lot of these decisions on the fly. And the balancing for that is like, I could set up an encounter that in Adventures League would be beyond deadly and they will circumvent it by just a creative notion. But then something that I have like four goblins running around becomes something where there's three of them laying on the ground. <laughs> and this goblin is is just trying to go get on the bus and go home kind of thing. Like he's like, I don't even want any part of this. What are you guys doing? And it's just kind of it it really makes balancing the adventures an interesting feat on a regular basis. It's yeah. Never I'm never bored at all. Ever. So how do how does it how do you feel, Rudy, like Playing a uh, dungeon mastering for an audience for for a streamed audience versus you know just playing you know in a basement somewhere. I feel as though I catch myself from time to time talking to the audience when I intend to talk to the players, mm. describing something. That, so if Satine asked me like, "Well, how would this work?" I go into host mode if it's like my actor portion. <laughs> And I'll stare at the camera and I'll be like, well, this is how this would work. So a druid would have this. And then when you shift back, your hit points would be uh, your normal hit points, whatever you had left over. But then if you shift into the wolf again, you will regain all the I'll do that instead of talking to the players. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want mm. to stay as connected to my players as possible. So that's really the biggest challenge, I think. Is that because of like the, you know the artifice of the the cameras all being around? You guys are saying how you're at a different table. Like I've noticed when I was <laughs> talking to uh, uh, Matt Mercer about you know how their setup was for and is for a critical role. Like they, he he keeps saying he wants to make it more intimate and closer uh, because it is. It's it, you, you're separating yourself. I mean the best way to get the angles that you guys were talking about um, visually is to separate almost physically the DM from the players a little bit. And, it's rough. And it can be rough, right? Yeah. I mean, so in the episodes you'll see I'm leaning a lot, like if, especially if I'm on the end. Mm. It's because I have to see his face when he talks. And so I'm looking under the camera to see his face. So mm. even when he is talking to us, he's t like there's a camera right in front of him. 
Right. So, so it, it, yeah, our setup differs a little bit uh, from theirs in the sense that they have kind of two tables and a camera in between the table pointing on Matt, and then the they have other cameras that are cross shooting towards those tables. We actually have a lot closer, a lot more intimate of a of a look because my table is only separated from them by a few feet, mm-hmm. and that's where we have the cameras situated. And the problem with that is the camera is about in my eye line, and then conversely, it's in theirs as well. Yeah. So you'll see the space, like the frame of reference for me, and sometimes I'll be looking around the camera as well because there are certain times a DM has to connect in order to get what a player is trying to to accomplish or to give that information to the player. Right. So we're definitely looking for new ways to do that, and we have a couple of prospects uh, coming up through some... Uh, interesting sponsorship opportunities. So hopefully those pan out and we can make it feel super intimate without detracting from where we are as people and players. I just love the idea of you guys like moving to try to get eye, yeah. eye, eyesight. Like, oh, wait, no, go to the other side. Wait, no, no, go to the other side. Oh, wait, wait, go to the other side. It's like there's a plant in the center of the table. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly what it feels like. <laughs> right. Move the goddamn yeah. centerpiece. Get it out of the way. Uh, well, we, we, pl- we recorded a... A prequel, actually, at the L.A. Comic-Con, Stan Lee's L.A. Comic-Con. And we were sitting on a round table, and that was really interesting. I mean, it was a little odd. We didn't have lighting, so we didn't have to worry about that. But it felt so much nicer because we could actually connect with the Game Master. And I feel like the game goes smoother when not only we can see each other, but we can vibe off each other. And I think that's the magic of gaming in the first place is all of our energies are all wrapped, riled up and wrapped up in each other when we're sitting at a dining room table or sitting at a game store. So when we were at the convention, it was almost like a breath of fresh air for a moment. Like, yes, we get to play at each other with each other. So we're going to like, like he said, we're, we're incorporating season two is going to be really awesome. Nice. But I don't want to spoil anything for others. Spoilers yeah. be damned. But I uh, know I think <laughs> the big part. I think you guys are getting better at it as the more you do it too. So like it's kind of like a, a, a musician or a, you know even a, you know us theater folk rehearsing enough so that it feels natural uh, with all the weirdness of lights in your face and and cameras going. I think you're right. Like that's when it's the best when all that stuff fades away and you're still just people talking to each other. Uh, but that's harder to do when you're when you're newer at it. Yeah, Absolutely. and it's really funny because people were saying, yeah, you should, you know, practice or you should not launch it immediately. And it just doesn't compute. Like, <laughs> we just, we have to do this. Learn by do doing. Yeah. Exactly. And nothing's going to, nothing stops me ever anyway. And nothing was going to stop this from existing. Don't stop believing. That's right. Don't stop. And the, the biggest part about Don't the vision that we have for it is that <laughs> we make sure that the cameras can't be seen. Like if we, we, we could actually all sit at a table like that if we didn't mind the cameras being seen, but that's that doesn't have that clean look and aesthetic that we want. Mm. So, so, right, right, cool. Well, so is there there's a charity component to these games as well? Is that yeah, what I'm seeing? So, because yep. you can't do anything without giving back, Satine. You're just like the most charitable. Kind Rudy of can, person. but Satine can. Rudy would do it for you know, <laughs> just for just for. You himself. don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> but Satine, not you. That's yeah. Well, um, for those who don't know, I've, I'm the founder of Celebrity Charity Twenty, where I get basically I get Keith Bape. I don't get. 
I demand that Keith Baker write an adventure <laughs> from Eberron <laughs> for the like a 10 hour day of raising money for Reach Out and Read. It's a childhood literacy um, charity where they get pediatrician. They teach pediatricians how to teach parents how to get their children to read. And they provide them books from ages of six months to 18 years old. And it's fascinating to me. And I've grown up doing charity work. I was with all these youth groups where I was just doing it. And in my 20s, I stopped. And I was like, man, something is missing. And it was the charity work. So mm. I started it up and... We were pretty successful. I mean, the last one, it was 10 hours. Rudy game mastered a bunch of Keith's games. And then Keith gamed, uh, he played his new game, Phoenix Dawn Command. And it was awesome. We raised $5,000 and we had so many celebrities. Some had played, some were huge fans, and some had never played but always wanted to. And we're totally natural at it. So Maze Arcana is essentially a normal evolution from that. I want to play more often, and I want to raise money for all the charities. So that's how we do it. So and we does, have a donate button on, like, underneath the screen with their logo and a link to the websites awesome. and everything. Is it a different charity every session, or is it? Do you keep the same one for a season? This season so, is a different one every season. We have the the special guest recommend their favorite charities. Oh, that's a good idea. Oh, nice. Yeah. 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 So each one has their own that they are very passionate about and that we collect the donations for for that week. And we leave the we leave the bubble open the whole time so that people can continue to donate. It's not just the Sunday while we're playing. You can right. donate the entire week and it'll still go to the charity. That's cool. It kind of and then makes as it feel we like a, uh, like a like you know celebrities playing game shows yep. in the eighties, you know, yep. like, you know donating yeah. proceeds to the you know ACLU or something like that. I, I love that. The ACLU, right? Back when there was TV, <laughs> and <laughs> too soon. As, <laughs> maybe, already, they don't can't exist get away anymore. from it. <laughs> For and example. as we get back into the second and third season, and we have, we're not going to have as many individuals in the same season, but they're going to have longer arcs. Oh, that's so then they come on to support a charity. They'll have three or four weeks straight to invite people to 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 help for that too. Nice, that's a great idea. Very cool. Yeah, it's uh, a lot because having to create narratives that incorporate a brand new player every week, and then also sometimes teach that player while they're playing, is stressful not just on the DM but on everybody because we're the players get dropped into an area that they didn't just start off. They didn't just leave off on and they have to, the player that is coming in needs to feel important and powerful. So there's a lot of that, that time that would normally be subjugated to a campaign narrative that you're doing into the individual narratives of each character that comes in just for one episode. So it, it's going to help, I think, when we move into the bigger one and that charity can really be the focal point and that one person can be the focal point for three, four, five episodes. I think that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good idea. We give the the, the spotlight a, a, a bigger time to shine. Yeah. There you go. Um, and so how does this work with the celebrity charity D20? <laughs> Which is an amazing uh, well, turn of phrase. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um well, basically, a lot of the people that were on the charity event 
we've been we've asked them to come back to Maze Arcana. So they people want to play more and they want to share with the world that they also love Dungeons and Dragons. So that's kind of how it ties in. It's just mm. the same people. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm creating more addicts. Yep. That's what <laughs> Slowly you do. but surely. That's what that. you do. Uh, so beyond Talison, who is already well known throughout the the streaming gaming community, we got John Schnepon, who did the Death of Superman Lives and Aqua Team 104s, Venture Brothers, all of those things, all the way down to like my buddy Jonathan Keltz, who's on Rain, mm. or Ivan Van Norman, also another nerd from the North kind of guy, and then back to Denora uh, Walcott, so Scandal and and on Grimm and all of that. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that you're introducing it to more and more folks and mm-hmm. uh, they will bring it to their respective shows. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So soon Carrie, Carrie Washington is going to start playing <laughs> D&D. It's, it's going to happen. Oh, she would be like Ooh. the best person in she a party. She would. Yeah. Have normal. What class would she play? She would be like everything. Uh, She'd be yeah. the whole party. A bard probably. <laughs> She'd be the rules She's kind lawyer. of a wizard, kind of a cleric. The- I don't know. She, she would be everything. Are you talking about the actor She's or the character? I guess. Olivia I mean, Pope. Who knows? Uh, if it's Olivia Pope, we'd definitely be the rule lawyer. Yes. Yeah. Well, I feel like that show is actually a and d show anyway. They all have like different jobs that they have to do and, that, you know, they have specialties. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. yeah. Most star, Greg. Most yeah, I star. guess now. Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. the, 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 the period, not periodicals, the uh, police procedurals are all like that as well. Where. Yeah. Yeah. But each Stranger Things had a very specific scenario if you go in and really dissect the show that each one of those characters played a very specific part. Uh, one, there was a ranger, there's a paladin, there's the damsel, but th- not the damsel that is in distress, but the empowered damsel, which is wonderful that it has such a, such a turnaround, I guess, for lack of a better word on my brain. It takes the stereotype and, 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 and turns it, uh, turns it upside down. To the upside yeah. down. Oh, good one. Exactly. Into the shadow realm. No, very yeah. nice. Very nice. Uh, Satina, I have been reading uh, your book that you left uh, for for us uh, here a lot. Uh, turning, you know, it, which is a lot about that. Do you want to talk a little bit about, about what it was like writing that? Uh, which one, Action Heroine's Journey or the New Praetorians? Action Heroine's Journey, but we can talk about New Praetorians too. Well, New Praetorians is on hiatus for an extended period of time, but the action heroine's journey. Um, basically, we t- I'm obsessed with uh, psychology and I listen to a lot of podcasts. And my writer and I were, were thinking, you know, there's all these books written about story structure and they're all written from the male point of view. Yeah. Well, what about the action heroines? Like Hunger Games, a lot of men didn't... Well, I'm, I'm saying this in a very general, broad sense and... Broad. <laughs> I almost oh. did it too. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I get you. Um, yeah, so <laughs> a lot of guys didn't understand the ending of Hunger Games, and it comes down to the hierarchy of needs of her and what her goal was, and she attained her goal. You know, now she, after everything's over, she has a family, and it kind of, it's not the big trophy thing that men are. Um, they go hunting for the trophy. It's more about the making sure your environment is safe and settled. Mm. So instead of it going out with a big bang, it went out with this like gentle breath of air, which makes a lot of sense. And I connected with it a lot. Yeah. So we took Christopher Vogler's 12 steps of story creation and 
um, basically went at it from the woman's point of view based on Carl Jung's hierarchy of needs. It's awesome. super fascinating. And, and you're, you know, you're, I think you pitched it to me like this and I found it as I was reading through it. Like a lot of those books uh, about philosophy and about character breakdowns uh, sound pretty highfalutin when you're talking mm. about them. Uh, <laughs> but in the way uh, you and uh, I'm blanking on the name of uh, the writer that you worked with. Um, R.K. Cyrus. R.K. Cyrus. Thank you. Um, it doesn't feel that way. I mean, you, you, you cite those things, but it's very down to earth and I appreciate all the puns and, and, uh, dare, dare I say terrible jokes, but they, they <laughs> that's RK. He's, a, he's excellent at that. Yeah. And so it made it all, it made it all make sense. And I started really, I mean, I was, you know, I'm a, a writer in a, in a way and thinking about framing things and it's, it, it was also, really useful for that, but really useful also around bringing in a different kind of characters around the table, playing Dungeons and Dragons too. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, as uh, uh, we incorporate more in different people, like it's important that all Dungeon Masters kind of realize, you know, the things that are tropes in fantasy may not work for every single person at the table. And you want to try new stuff and, and make sure you're, you know, uh, pressing the, the pleasure pedals for all of your players. Yeah, well, see, that's the fascinating thing for me is now that we've written this book and we know what is technically correct, it's like how do we approach a story that should appeal to both men and women mm -hmm. because the men are going to identify with something slightly different. So it's almost like you have to marry the two styles, marry the needs of the men and the needs of the women and kind of blend them and you'll get like that's my sweet spot for a perfect story if somebody can do that they get all the props they get all the props right <laughs> yeah because that's all i got to give them and i love i love that the, the you're talking about you know <laughs> i love that you just use the word mary there <laughs> oh <laughs> so uh. apropos it's perfect <laughs> yeah men are from mars men are from venus and uh it's true though how I mean, can you write for both of them yeah, so Satine you'll, you'll have a, a game. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I'm from Faerun. Okay, fair. <laughs> you have a game, you a game and you'll have a game master who's, you know, they're writing the story and it's for their, their friends and it makes sense and it's really good, but sometimes it might not be satisfying for another, for maybe a female character or, for instance, if I'm writing a game and I have more female characters than I have male characters, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm, leaning too towards the feminine needs than I am to the masculine needs. Right. So it, I think it's just good to know, to have in your, in your banks of information. Right. And it's good to have that too, because so many, so much of the fantasy literature, you know, that people know only caters to one or the other audience. They don't cater to both. And so it's nice to have, you know, Hey, just to, to break down those barriers and be like, Hey, there's other, there's other stories that can be told. Uh, and, uh, yeah. I like it. Yeah, I'm glad you read it. It's been it's <laughs> making me think a lot. Uh, yeah, so thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, Where can people find this awesome book? Yeah. Other than on your desk <laughs> and my desk and your desk. <laughs> uh, you can find it on Amazon. The Action Heroine's Journey. I think I have a couple books on there. If you just look up my name on Amazon.com, you will find the books. But I think that's my favorite book. Nice. And uh, now, I mean, I, we're, I think we're at time. So where else can people find uh, uh, Maze Arcana, more about you, Satine? And then we'll get to you, Rudy. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so Maze Arcana, you can see us every Sunday, 12 to 5 Pacific Standard Time. 
uh, twitch.tv slash Arcana. We also have all the episodes on YouTube if you prefer to watch it on YouTube. And if you want to see a nice, really fun website that I made that has a lot of different character things and some cool design work and illustrations that I do, because I do illustrations of all the characters, you can just go to mazarcana.com and we've organized in our blog all the episodes. So there's that. Um, if you're interested in what I do as an illustrator, you can go to burningquill.com. I will have a jewelry line out in spring. It's oh, cool. a sophisticated fantasy. So like gold and silver jewelry. And other than that, I'm fairly certain you can pick up some of my uh, boxes. I'm a graphic designer for Loyal Subjects, and we have toys in Toys R Us and Target and uh, Hot Topic. So Loyal Subjects are little vinyl collectibles. Sweet. And, yeah. And uh, cool. And where can we find, uh, find, find you, Rudy? Uh, well, Satine did such a wonderful job of plugging the show that I think it's only right that I plug the thank yous for it really fast uh so that would be for our champion bard chris Lindsay, and of course that entire wizards team that brought us in and made us feel so at home within your walls <laughs> we wanted to give you high we, fives everybody gave me high fives and it was when my <laughs> arm worked still um <laughs> inside joke you'll have to watch the show and then uh vanaheim studios and fawn davis and fawn co in la for helping us out with a place to do the streaming from uh, logitech provided the cameras for the first season and like i said we have some new sponsorships coming up with black magic design and sirenscape that are looking to improve what we're going to do with the audience experience uh, and then obviously our entire cast and crew i wish we had more time to name them but neil has done a wonderful job as a producer and Bruce and Leo, oh, all those Bruce, guys that help Bruce us with lighting. lighting. Oh, oh Bruce. I love yeah. Bruce Monarch and his lighting is delicious. Yeah, and Leo Kai <laughs> is doing a lot of our segment directing stuff and Jesse with our sound. It's really without the team, it's really hard to do. And you would think that, oh, no, Lynn, like she was saying, you just have the, the lights or the have the Logitech sitting up there on your computer and hit go on the Yeti, but it's a lot more complicated than that. And without yeah. these guys, we wouldn't have figured it out. Nice. So beyond that, where you can find me is at Rudy Woot on both Twitter and Instagram and pretty much anything else that you're trying to find me on, including Skype. And then <laughs> you were like, what is that? And then <laughs> you can see me or hear me in movies like Argo, Fury, um, TV shows like Baby Daddy, uh, podcasts like Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> Talk, awesome. and pretty much all over the place. Uh, I write as well. I've got some interesting stuff happening on that front with uh, film and television writing, which Satine's book is fantastic for. Yeah. Any any movie writer or TV writer should really consider picking it up simply for the understanding how some of those tropes can be migrated from one sex to the other. Uh, a dungeon master should do it as well because it's very helpful in understanding how to motivate your female characters to go along with the male things that your male characters want to do and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. I think that pretty much does it for me. That was pretty well, big. Uh, yeah, I love it. Well, go ahead, team. Meltdown. Yeah. Oh, God. Meltdown. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about the LA community, gaming community really fast and how meetup.com uh forward slash LA tabletop gamers 
wasn't such a wonderful community because I would never have found Adventures League without that beyond oh, cool. just my friends. And Adventures League is how I became the DM that I am by just getting dropped into a convention <laughs> and then saying, here, we have seven tables we need you to run. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the funny <laughs> thing because like, I had started that so many years ago and then you're like, yeah, I... Hello, new friend. I have been in your meetup group for a long time. So I thought that was really funny. That is like, cool. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a long people. time to, to, to reach across the, uh, across the aisle there. Oh, damn it, I did it again. Uh, <laughs> 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 All right, well, thank you plans. guys so much. Uh, you, know, you can check out, what, is the episode eight going to be the last one of this season? Is that th- this next Sunday? It'll be the end of this season. It's this coming Sunday. Taliesin is our special guest. Nice. We will take for Thanksgiving, and then we will be back on later episodes. A couple of them are going to be Skype-related uh, with some Watsy affiliated people that we've mentioned <laughs> so far, and we would actually like to invite the two of you into yeah. one of those games. Oh, yeah, good uh, What? Yeah, we would yeah, love to have play. you two in for one of those. Let's do it. All right. And you're going to have to come to Eberron because they're going to be campaign-adjacent. Just so you know. <laughs> it's going to be like Force Gray. My first D&D experience was Eberron. Yeah? Yes, that was my first uh, campaign. Well, welcome back. I've Thank always you. wanted to nice. forge forge oh. war with a with a, being an android. I, like ever since I watched uh, 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 Data in, in next, gen- <laughs> next Generation, I've always wanted to play an android. So I'm going to do it. Sentient right. Construct. Yes. We'll get you. We'll get you squared away. We'll make it happen. Yay. Cool. Thanks, guys, for uh, taking the time to talk to us. And uh, yeah, rock on. Keep the gaming alive in the Los Angeles. We'll see you guys soon. Absolutely will. Do you have one more pun for us or no? Uh, I don't pun on command. Oh, <laughs> nice. All right. Have a good day. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Talk to you later. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 What's a good I, deal? I will, can always you? talk to Satine and Rudy. They make me happy. They make me happy, too. They are creative folks uh, down in... The Los Angeles Hollywood areas. They do a lot. They do a they lot. They do a lot for D and D, a lot of D and D events, and a lot of great work for charity. And a lot of theatery, There's filmy things. type stuff. There are people. There are people. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So go watch uh, Maze Arcana. Yeah. This Sunday, it's at twelve ish. As they said, Pacific time on the Twitches. The Satine's elf ears. They're really big. Like really big. Long. Elf. They're long elf ears. Really. Yeah. I don't know how you. I mean, tall. They're tall elf ears. Hmm. Um. And it's totally worthwhile. Okay. Yeah, make it happen. Uh, you can reach out with any questions about Dungeons and Dragons, dungeon mastering, or theater. Sure. I'm at Greg Tito. I know all, everything about theater. Okay, I might have <laughs> a few so questions. Not so much on the other things. Um, and uh, Shelly, where can they talk to you? At Shelly Moo on Twitter. You can ask her about on Avalon Twitter. Hill. Sure, or Avalon Hill 2. Oh, yes. The number two The number on two. Twitter. You can leave some amazing ratings and reviews on the electronic iTunes. We just call them electronic tunes yep. now. Yep. They're Warforged tunes. War tunes. Yeah. Something like that. Sure. I don't know. Bring the Eberin back. Okay. Uh, or yeah, you can, uh, we're, we're scheduling some stuff for 2017, so if you have any ideas for guests, let us know. We've got a lot of great suggestions. We're, yep. we're in the process of doing it, but we're always looking for more. So yep. make it happen. It. And maybe give a nice rating or a review. Why not? It helps more people it's discover Dragon Talk and how awesome it is. Yeah. It's the holidays. It's the holidays. That's right. So maybe that would be a nice gift for us. We're going to drink some uh, eggnog and be merry. Yep. One of these days. Yeah, like now. Yeah, let's do it. Done. All right. 
Later. Bye, you guys. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Dragon Talk. We'll be back next week. Next week.